podcast all about the lives and careers of the JET alumni community with me, Ethan Law. This is the second of a two-parter episode of an interview with our guest, Rebecca Chen, and of course with my co-host, David Riley. We'll get into the post-JET blues, finding work, moving back home with your parents, and finding that everyone has moved on with their lives. But it's not all bad, I promise. As a special treat, David will be sticking around later for the first time to do the outro. Chat to you then. I guess um, since we're we're sort of now touching on the more general topic of life after jet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great phrase. Life after jet. Yeah, life after jet. So this is the podcast about life after jet. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what sort of challenges have you found this coming coming back? I mean, apart from you, you talked about uh, finding employment, for example, and yeah, in general, the reverse culture shock, things like that, and talk, I guess talking to people about your experiences because you also mentioned about uh, how maybe people's attention spans only so much, and then yeah. they, they sort of veer off to some other topic for example yeah yeah and i'm afraid that even if they did have the attention span i wouldn't have the verbosity to eloquently articulate the magic that was the jet program in my life um but yeah kind of like what i said before i think one of the hardest things is kind of losing you know your sense of adulthood and (laughs) um moving back into your parents house not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that yeah. Uh, but yeah. when you, you know, but coming back is, it feels like a step down <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't want to sound ungrateful for everything that my parents have done for me and are continuing to do for me. Um, but, but when you're used to that amount of freedom, especially after you know, graduating from, from university and going straight into a setup where you have to pay your own bills and, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. in a way, it's, it's sort of a subsidized, it is subsidized and everything is set up for you on jet. But yeah, the, the amount of degree, degree of freedom uh, is amazing and independence. It does force you to grow up quite quickly. Yes. In a different environment than all of your peers are going to. So, yeah. 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 And now that I'm back, I think my peers have, you know, raced beyond me into <laughs> the next phase of their adult life and now i'm catching up <laughs> yeah, uh, i would so, say i've been out for three or four years and it still feels like that <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would also i think it's too it's just relative it's just how you think it is but it's not yeah in reality nobody's actually really raced that far ahead <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's what, and that's what everyone says to me because like i'll tell i talk to people and people in my um chapter specifically in around new york i feel like they're all like so accomplished it's actually quite inspiring um and i don't usually feel you know discouraged or dejected when i talk to them um because they're all employed they're all they're all able to afford living in the city or at least in one of the boroughs um and i'm just like one day i'll get there uh <laughs> and, but they tell me you know like we didn't we haven't quote unquote made it we're, we're still you know making our way mm. um so i think they say that to be encouraging to me but i'm like if you're still working what am i <laughs> <laughs> if you're still working at it then i am not even close but, I, I i feel that everyone just has different goalposts they they're no one yeah. humans aren't by our basic nature ever satisfied with what we have yeah. so yeah. Mm-hmm. i i think that it's not just not 
well, I don't think it's entirely they're trying to make you feel better about yourself, but <laughs> I think they generally feel like they haven't accomplished anything uh, yeah. because their standards about what what it means to be accomplished would have already mo kept moving up and up or sideways or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. they might actually feel that they're in the same boat as you, believe it or not. You know, you kind of, you, you may have moved, like say for example, if you, you've gone to a good job with, with more money and then you, you start, your expectations uh, start rising up to fill that sort of gap until you feel that you fall back to your general level of dissatisfaction. So, oh no, if only I had this, if only I had that job. A little bit more. Little exactly, bit. exactly, yeah. It's the, um, it's what's the Greek um, story of Sisyphus, the guy who pushes up, pushes the rock, a big oh, rock, yeah. the underworld, and when he gets to the top of the, the mound, the rock just rolls back down the hill and crushes him, and he has to go back down and roll it back up again, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Down in Tartarus, and down yeah. in, uh, ancient Greek myth of hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, how? And you were saying that um, your friends—they've moved on with their lives, and uh, yeah. they. Fortunately, yeah, I think there's a degree of humility that they're also giving me back. Because even if they were to, you know, be exactly where they want to be, they're not going to tell me that they're exactly where they want to be in their <laughs> life. No. It's all a little bit misleading. <laughs> I'm sure that they, there's a bit of envy from their perspective too. Oh. They, yeah, I mean, you yeah. got to live in Japan, you got to live in a different country, you experienced, you have an insider's view to a culture that most yeah. casual tourists who spend two weeks there could yeah, never sure. really yeah. have accomplished. And yeah, sure, they, uh, they may not be able to relate to your stories. But you know what, like, uh, I, I discovered it was a great way to sort people out those that i want to be friends with or want to hang out with and those that i don't because mm -hmm. i i know especially when i come come back and so my, my stories are probably a little bit more extreme because i went in uh, 2010 2011 and i was in fukushima so my town mm -hmm. was next to the coast and i experienced the earthquake and the tsunami and the uh radiation fallout as well so coming back to australia and you pre pretty quickly discover those who actually really want to hear about those kind of experiences and people who don't. Uh, yeah. And then you, you you use that. I mean, it's probably a bad thing that I was doing it, but I, I used that almost like a benchmark for, oh, you didn't really <laughs> listen to all of that? Okay, well, we're not going to be friends. That was your litmus test. <laughs> that, that was pretty much my litmus test, and it's yeah. uh, worked for me so far. How long has it, have you, has it been since you've been back? Yeah. Um, so I guess I came back at the end of August, but I haven't spent my entire time in America since then because I was in uh, England and Ireland for about three weeks. And then I came back for like six days and then I went to Uganda for nine days and then I came back. So. Yeah. You can't tell me that anyone listening to that, I can tell you they're going to be, wow, oh God, I wish I had that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's when people are like, oh, it's nice to be fun employed. Soak it up. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to make the best of a situation right now. <laughs> so. yeah. I, I, I mean, I would just let you know, too, that I had a lot of frustrations with that. And finding a job was really difficult. And I it ended up living with my parents in Cleveland at the age of 28, 29. And it was you had to be humble about it. And yeah. 
you know, you felt I really did. I was kind of hard on myself, and I maybe still am, but I felt really like oh, I'm really far behind with things. But there's also mm-hmm. another amazing perspective too, is that in some ways it was kind of awesome living with my parents because I was like, wait a sec, I got to hang out with my dad, like you know, on his last year of work as a teacher as he retired. I got to be there for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of things, and I was thinking this is really nice. Like I can. <laughs> Hang out with my 60 plus year old parents, and it's a great time. And looking back on it, I don't regret that year at all, in a way. So, yeah, yeah for sure. I am also definitely not taking my time with my parents for granted, too. And I, I you know, hesitate to say that because I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, just trying to find <laughs> some lining in all of this. Like, I can spend time with my parents. I'm such a good kid. <laughs> but no, like, it's, you know, I, more and more now um i think you know as everyone kind of grows older it's gonna get really dark moment, but we all experience death (laughs) more and more so i like really 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 just appreciate being with my parents now and to kind of act like i want to get out of here as soon as possible is just ungrateful um and i don't want to show that to them but you know obviously i I don't want to slack off and live here forever either but they understand that (laughs) even if they would be completely okay with that (laughs) (laughs) sorry go on sorry oh i was just laughing like i would ride my bike to the refugee agency occasionally like from my home to cleveland it was like a 10 mile ride and i wear like bike shorts and i remember i rode all the way to work one day and I had forgotten my pants to change into. <laughs> so I like put on my work short. And I had like my kind of cycly shorts, and like I was sitting at my desk. What am I gonna do about this? And I was like, called my mom, and I was like, Mom, got <laughs> my pants off at work. <laughs> I was like, I bet, oh, she know. I bet she never thought she'd hear that again. Not since like, <laughs> your daycare. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> right? And there was no problem for her at all. No, <laughs> oh, she just showed up and she just like gave me this look and I was like, oh, I won't forget this. <laughs> <laughs> you never change. <laughs> do you think, uh, Rebecca, do you think you have any advice for people who are just come back from Jet? And, I mean, obviously, I think it would be great for anyone who are maybe feeling a bit bummed out thinking, why haven't I got a job yet as well to know, to realize that other people are in the same boat. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I mean, this gets said a lot and it's probably been said on previous podcasts. I haven't listened to every single episode yet. Um, but. <laughs> oh, you've listened. But, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> um, but big thing is to not compare yourself to other people. Cause that just will make you feel terrible and make you feel like you're, behind because you're not gonna i mean if you compare yourself to feel better about yourself then like newsflash you're not a good person <laughs> uh but um like comparing yourself and making yourself feel worse means you're not being a good person to yourself so like just don't do that um and recognize that the path that you're on is unique Mm. And it might be hard to accept that because you want a life just like everybody else's because you have all these stories in your head about how everything should go. Um, but I think being realistic about where you are helps you get to where you want to be better. So I um, didn't think I would be struggling this hard with finding work, but at the same time, um, I wouldn't have had time to meet you know, that agency during their business hours if I had a job. Yeah. So 
Um, of course, I could take a, a job in the evenings, I guess. That's a, a possibility. Um, but like, I'm grateful to have this availability now. Um, I, if I had a job, it would be much harder to, uh, you know, just edit a, a documentary of this scale um, mm. when that time comes. Um, I am networking with people that I want to be around and, uh, and making those interactions useful and uh, having something concrete come out of it. Um, mm. Oh, networking is like actually quite fun for me. Uh, as an introvert, I think it's really um, just, it opens a lot of doors, especially if you're starting to feel like your world is sort of closing in on you. So when you get to meet people at events that are doing things or are at a place where you want to be uh, working at a place or, you know, just in a season of their life that you want to get to, um, make them your friend, (laughs) Uh, talk to them and find out where they are because especially if they're through your um, JET alumni uh, affiliation, uh, then they are really, really generous and really willing to talk to new JETs because they all personally understand how hard it is um, to just have moved back. And that still catches me off guard because I'm like, why are people this nice to me? Like, I know they came back from Japan and struggled, but that was a long time ago. Like, why didn't they get I don't know, grow out of their kindness but they just don't they're just still nice people um and you and like you want to grow to be like that too hmm. and i say that like i'm still a child but like you, know, you want to grow continue to grow into an adult who's still <laughs> kind to people um and you'll find it you'll find a lot of kindness I mean, that's the only reason why i got asked to be on this podcast because you guys care <laughs> that you know i'm struggling and trying to make the best of it and um hopefully thriving in my own way hmm. um and I think, I think once, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna, it'll be amazing then how much, in, I mean, you might not realize it, but how much we even grow over a year or two years, even outside of JET, there's amazing, you know, there's always amazing strides to be made too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, uh, not that I would wish um, misfortune on people, maybe a few, but no, I'm, I'm mature. I wouldn't want to miss, miss, not that I want to wish misfortune on people. <laughs> it's good to be challenged, really, ultimately. I mean, it's no, not, it really fun. Yes. You, it's not enjoyable, but you do learn something about yourself and you'll always have that. And a lot of people may not necessarily have that. Once you've gone through that, you, you realize what you are capable of, like how you're able to cope. It toughens you up mentally. Yeah, I think that's a really admirable thing you're, you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'd like to say that too, all sorts of encouragement. And I don't know if, if I can be of any help or any advice and helping out connecting with refugee agencies. I mean, had about a little bit over a year experience, feel free to reach out to me. Always yeah. give ideas. Yes, I really, definitely. really saying that sincerely, not without, you know. <laughs> Jack Power, activate. Because some people you know, come and I'm more than happy to help and they don't mean it. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, before I forget, so when when's the next stage? And Because I like to check back and and uh, have an update and see how things are going when things have progressed. So when do you think the next stage would be? Well, um, the uh, production process is sort of starting now. Um, (laughs) I've looked at a calendar and there are a couple of uh, events that this agency is holding um, 
that I'm interested in going out to film. So the last one will probably be a walkathon that happens in November. So we'll probably be filming at least till then, mm -hmm. uh, which means that editing will have to happen after that. So that will probably take like equally a half a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully by next year, <laughs> I'll have something to show for this. Um, and when I say it out loud, like, oh, I'll have something to show for this effort in a year. Um, it's it's humbling and it's um, it makes me kind of feel like that's in a way like the mature thing to do is to take it slowly and to not feel like everything has to be immediate and that yeah as with a lot of projects it takes a long time and marathons <laughs> a race consistent yeah. work yeah mm, yeah so um, okay. yeah so I uh, don't. <laughs> I, I'll have the same, you know, contact information as before in a year from now, probably. <laughs> you can reach me then if you remember. Um, but if anything exciting happens, I'll like probably let the world know. Yeah. Also, um, yeah, tap into the JET network, not just uh, within New York, and I'm sure there's plenty within JETing and uh, NY. Yeah, I mean, the JET network, we're... we're we're basically the Illuminati, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we reach all parts of. The world. We are every every level. I think you're telling the first year too much, Eden. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no, she needs to be part of the inner circle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's possible. When will I get there? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're 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 on your way, definitely, and we should be watching your your progression with interest. I stay as I I say as I steeple my my fingers, uh, you know. You know. <laughs> and I'm, I am wearing, of course, like a, a cloak and holding a curved dagger in a room with like torches. By the way, just you know. oh, is that where it's going? Oh, I was looking for that. That's why your room was so well lit. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'm joined this time by David, who's sticking with us for the outro uh first time david yeah first time that's first right time. <laughs> first time long time uh little does everybody know yeah. yeah interesting discussions that we've had with uh rebecca about her work and her experiences on jet and also we got a bit of insight with your background working as a uh refugee refugee advocate uh, yeah i i um just to summarize that I worked for about a year there as an employment coordinator. So yeah. ironically, after coming back to the States and having a rough time finding employment in the United States, uh, I ended up settling into a job whose job was to help people who recently arrived in the United States find employment. So yeah, <laughs> and, and those people were, of course, um, yeah. um, immigrants and asylum seekers. I thought it was interesting about what Rebecca was saying saying about the uh, the TIPP, uh, which actually explains a lot. I've never met those uh, those came over in my hometown. Mm. Um, there were definitely plenty of them, but I had no idea that what the set up the situation was was like. And it makes sense to me now when I think about it that perhaps they don't get treated as well as yeah. they legit uh, would. I mean, jets are basically public servants and also teachers. So you've got that double layer of respect, I suppose. You've got respect for people who are in the government yep. and respect for people who are teachers. 
Mm. Uh, so we are really, really quite privileged, basically. Just <laughs> a sweet, sweet I, a- Absolutely. And I think with this particular visa, I could sure, sure could do my homework on it more, but I, I did see little documentaries and little articles on the Japan Times that it has come under some criticism whether it's actually for off- offering people an opportunity to work in Japan and build up their skill base, or is it a way for Japan to basically have a way of attracting um, lower paying jobs and lower paying immigrant work that the Japanese themselves do not want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's I, kind of the dark side of that, I think. Do you need me to mention any more about refugee resettlement in the States? I mean, if you have any kind of references, do you think it might be good for people to read, uh, to look up if they want to find out more? Yeah, I think, I mean, the best resource is probably the United States Committee on Refugees and Immigrants website, USCRI.org. Um, that'll provide most of the information. I guess if I could say just a brief overview, I think what people don't realize that at least up until when I worked in it, the U.S. was by far the most generous country in the world. We took something like nine out of ten of the world's refugees. Mm. We resettled in the United States. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that being said, it's not, there's there's always these misconceptions about the process that um, either, either the negativity that they're coming to take the jobs or, you know, they're coming and bringing crime and terrorism or whatever, mm-hmm. or that they're coming and we're here to help them and it's this very rosy and easy and managed process and i think the reality is it's somewhere in between and it can be a big challenge because most refugees when they arrive in the united states the clock is actually ticking before their money runs out they have anywhere from three to nine months to find sustainable full-time employment and be able to pay all of their bills and food and wages and so on before their public assistance completely runs out. And so that's what a lot of these agencies are set up there for. When someone arrives, they take the case to the family and immediately the process is made to say, how quickly can we get them employed? How quickly can we get all the kids in school as fast as possible (laughs) before before the little amount of funding runs out? And I think that's some of the challenges and stresses towards working in an agency. And again, in in the States, it's still, it's a very, it's a controversial career in service, whether it's either in Australia or the United States. And Mm. I guess I didn't really realize that until I actually started it. And I was like, wow, Although people don't even know what a refugee is, for example, they don't know that it takes like over two years of ridiculously detailed vetting and all of your family members that to even get on the visa. And it takes probably even another year to get to the States. Although people don't know that refugees are here and they're authorized to work in the United States and so on. There's everyone has very um, strong opinions about the situation, whether they're informed about it or not, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's always interesting. You find the most resistance to refugees, and I found I thought this is especially with a lot of, I guess, employers or other people I talked to while working the job, from people who are often um, um, sons and daughters of refuge, former refugees themselves. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Mm. Um, I like I, a generation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I almost can understand that uh even though it doesn't make it right Uh, i mean for example you know in australia we have our our politician like Colin hansen and one nation and they talk about 
uh, One Nation for for overseas listeners is is basically uh, an anti uh, anti immigration anti Muslim yeah. for anyone who for a point of reference for anyone listening outside yeah. Australia. It's it's kind of incredible to think like there are voters from those groups who vote for them, and you know they're they're the ones who've been targeted, but there are members of those groups who would vote for them, and. I think it's probably because, you know, well, I'm not one of these people that we want to keep out. Look at me, I'm Australian, I'm totally Australian. I support, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally integrated. It seems a little bit sad to me because um, it's like, yeah, even though you may not feel like you have a connection with the groups that have been criticized or been targeted, but, and you have friends who don't regard you as members of that group, but then they're your friends. There'll be strangers who would nevertheless paint you with the same brush. They don't really care. They don't, they don't care to take the time to get to know you personally. And learn about it. Yeah, to, to excise you from, from that uh, unwanted group. Well, from, and from the second and third generation, sons and daughters of refugees, refugees that are now, you know, fully integrated in an American or Australian or whatever. There's this, there's this interesting backlash I noticed where there's this assumption that the refugees coming there now have it easy, right? Mm. Like, oh, well, they have it easy, you know, and they're coming in illegally, not like my parents did when, you know, they showed up. They have to come in the right way. And it's like, it's very interesting because, you know, yeah. 60 years ago, the immigration, there was no right way to come in immigration. They just showed up. <laughs> so there was no system. Yeah. And, the idea that they have it easy just to have a story i had to um i used to go and speak with owners of various manufacturing plants you know these are really tough dirty hard manly jobs and mm. i'd have to go in there and convince these you know tough dirty manly men to hire refugees and surprisingly some were okay with it and you know thought they would be loyal and hard workers there but some would have this blowback and i had one guy who was you know second or third generation irish so the worst to convince <laughs> And he was completely stubborn. He said, well, my parents came in, you know, in the early 1900s and they had to work hard for why, sh why should I um, be hiring these refugees to have it so easy now and have you doing everything for them? Mm -hmm. And it was an interesting thing. And just to answer that question, I just point out, the, I convinced him by saying, well, you know, they're just like us in the United States because they arrive in the United States and then six months later, they have to pay, to pay, pay all their plane tickets back for the whole yeah. family. So they're like us, they're already in debt the instant they become American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, it's interesting when you just state something in fact like that, that every family member has to pay anywhere from 15 to $2,000 yeah. back almost immediately. It's the shock like, oh wow, they actually, <laughs> no yeah. so anyway. And who do they think are the first boat people, really? I mean, in America's case, it was yeah. people in the Mayflower. In Australia's case, it was people on the first fleet, right? Yeah, <laughs> even if you really want to roll it back 40,000 years, the Aboriginals themselves are probably boat people because they somehow got to Australia. If it was an yeah. island, it was a bridge, I don't know. Anyway, it's yeah. all, it's all a silly thing to label anyway. Do we want to speak anything about coming back, about difficult? Uh, yeah, it, it never actually uh, struck me until Rebecca pointed out that coming back from jet actually makes it feel like a step back. Well, you're less of an, of an adult when you come home. Uh, that was not an experience that I felt because mm. I worked for several years before I okay. went to Japan. And I, although it took me a few months, I pretty much 
well, I wouldn't say picked up where I left off, but you know, I, I more or less resumed where I left off and I only left for a year. So she left, I think, what, two, three years? Three years, three years. Yeah, three years. And I guess it's more extreme. The effect is more extreme when um, you've just left college, you're on a cusp and you haven't had all that adult experience. So what yeah. it struck me that she said, went to Japan, immediately had to deal with doing my own bills and and going to work and working hard and while it was all you know set up for you and quite subsidized and all that kind of stuff it's still adult responsibility and then you come back and all your friends have already gone on to the next stage <laughs> and then when you meanwhile you have to start from what feels like a few steps back moving back yeah home, I, I would parents. i would say that's the perfect way to describe it um i'm not going to lie sometimes me even me and sarah feel that way sometimes because you do we were gone particularly long four or five years which is i guess on the ridiculous scale but it does feel like you're starting a few steps back and that you know to come back home for Rebecca after or myself after three or four or five years away and like you know to land at your parents house is always just this it's, it, we have to get over this stigma in the United States and maybe I think it's less so in Australia but in the United States yeah. moving in with your parents after you've graduated college is still even though it's common now is still considered this just humiliating experience right mm. Nobody wants to be a 25 to 30 year old living with their parents yeah. and to have to go that feels like such a step back in life, even though the reality is that it's on the rise and it's actually becoming a necessity as you know, people's wages aren't bloomingly high and, and employment is not falling from trees these days. Yeah, so yeah. It requires a lot more drive and hustle, I think, to return from Japan and you know, find a stable full-time job for yourself you really you have to fight for it that's yeah yeah exactly and, I, like and I wish some people had been more clear with me upon returning home although there is one person at a really great point and i always repeat this is that um when you come back to the states or when you come back to your country you're really enthusiastic about telling everybody about your japan experience and how amazing and how awesome it was and he just flat out told everyone like look nobody cares <laughs> <laughs> It's like you might talk for a few sentences and keep people's attention about how great Japan was, but the reality is nobody cares, right? Yeah. Everyone else is more interested in themselves and what they've been doing for the past three years. Yeah. They're going to start talking about themselves afterwards. Yeah. The uh, only people who will be interested in Japan were other people who have had the experience themselves. Exactly. So reach out to your jet community or reach out to other people that may have had that same experience, and those are the people you'll be able to have you know, conversations with about this. Exactly. Actually, my dad put it pretty brutally when I came back and I started telling him my stories. He actually stopped me after two minutes and he said, I wasn't there, so I can't relate and therefore I don't care. Thank you. And that was what my dad said. So he gave you two minutes at least. That at least that, that guy Jet was just like no. Well, he's my dad, you know. He's my father. I mean, you know, he's he's gonna he's gonna indulge me somewhat. But then um, <laughs> his patience obviously ran out, and he just went like, "I say this with love, but shut the fuck up." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, fair enough, Dad. And I think there's nothing wrong with coming to realize that um, you just can't expect the whole rest of your country to be enthusiastic about what you did in Japan. I mean, 
you know, that's just what it is, but that's okay. Yeah. We just have to, we end up just walking around with smug looks on our faces because we're thinking like you haven't had the experience <laughs> that we had. So, you know, therefore we're better than you are. Um, <laughs> oh dear God. Um, what other things do, should we, should we tip or tat on? Um, um, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to, I do have here about, um, filmmaking like what she's attempting is pretty incredible it sounds really really involved mm. and having to film for hours and hours just to get potentially i don't know like a very and i think um i actually did a little bit like how i got into working at the um refugee center is that i just volunteered kind of as their like media intern and i took pictures of various refugees that i kind of recorded their stories and et cetera, if they wanted to talk about them. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really important, that's a really difficult thing to do there because you have to understand that a lot of these refugees that do arrive, and I, my director just would always make a point of this, is that it's not always the best idea to bring up these stories, right? Mm -hmm. I know it's good for movies and videos or books or whatever, but and if you're making a documentary, but you have to be very, you have to proceed very carefully because some people, if they just finally got to the United States or whatever country they're resettling in, they, they don't want to talk about these experiences. Some of these experiences are just beyond traumatic that I have heard. I mean, you're talking about people who have lost fa fa family members, friends, their children, their fathers, their grandparents. You're talking about people who have been severely injured, abused, sexually, physically. Like they're just stories that, you can't even imagine. And some of them yeah. are really just not ready or comfortable going on camera yeah. talking about it. And I know as an audience, we want to see and hear these, feel these stories, but yeah, a lot of them just, our director was like, don't bring it up, you know? <laughs> yeah. The most shocking part is that it's not that those stories are awful and shocking, it's that they're just not unique. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. That is a good point. There's, there's every almost every person who goes who shows up at these refugee centers has had something really, really traumatic happen. If you work in the refugee agency, you're really their point of contact, right? Yeah, they yeah. call you for an emergency. They don't. A lot of refugees, when they're coming from Iran, Iraq, or Myanmar, or so on, don't trust the police <laughs> at all, and they. And if they have a medical emergency, if they have um, somebody's broken into their house, one of their relatives is lost, one of their kids is lost, someone has been mugged on the train, someone needs to go to the hospital, they will call you because you're the person they trust in that country. Exactly. You're the one they depend on. And I have received all those calls and everybody just rattling off a few of those incidents, those are things that happened to people when I was there in that first year. You know, those are, it sounds, some of these, those things sound horrible, but, you know, I've had a refugee client on their way to work get mugged, right? Oh, <laughs> it just, didn't just happen once either, you know? Yeah. Um, and these are situations and these are things you have to help them out with in adjusting to their new life in this country. And it's almost really difficult, I think, when facing those challenges to dwell for them to come to terms with their past too at the same time. Yeah. So it's a really tough journey. And I think another point that our wonderful director made too was she said that, um, you know, don't and, and angelize them either too. They're also, mm -hmm. a lot of these are just regular people like us and they come with all the 
you know, ups and downs and emotional baggage that we have too. Some people think they're angel and perfect and, you know, they're just idyllic and they've come think no, a lot of them have difficulties just like us. You know, they have challenges. They, some of them may have a drinking problem. Some of them might not be able to show up to work on time. You know, some of them might. Yeah, anger just, problems. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's nothing. They're just like you and me in that sense. And I think when you realize that aspect of it makes I guess um, more easier to come to terms of their situation. You don't want to try to angelize or demonize them. Yeah. People. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, we'll be, we'll definitely be checking back with Rebecca to see how she is uh, progressing with film. And she said this time next year. Hmm. And uh, so we shall be watching with interest. Okay. All right. Thanks for uh, hanging around David. And uh yeah, been really good. Uh, so all the best to Rebecca. We'll be, keep, as mentioned, we'll be uh, keeping track of what she's doing, um, and hope you enjoy the podcast. Talk to you later. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. The Up to Jet podcast is supported by Claire, the Council of Local Authorities for International Relations. That is otherwise an independent project by me, Aiden Law. All opinions and ideas discussed on the Optijet podcast do not necessarily represent the views or position of Claire or any organization associated with Claire. Thank you as always to everyone who has supported and made this project of mine possible. Mm-hmm.